freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Welcome to episode number 120 of Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. Well, I am one of your hosts, Cheryl Todd. And I'm Dan Todd, the other guy. The theme of our show today is place the oxygen mask on yourself first. And are we going on a trip or something, Cheryl? (laughs) Well, no, but we have been doing quite a bit of traveling, and I know that this is the traveling season. And so I, this particular phrase just struck me um, on our last trip as something that made a lot of sense to the Second Amendment community. So, yeah, our show is Place the Oxygen Mask on Yourself First. When we fly the friendly skies, once we get past the TSA speed dating session, where we are neatly pickpocketed of all of our tools of self-defense, the airlines truly do get the importance of us being our own immediate responders. Every single flight begins with a quick lesson in self-preservation and even goes a step further in understanding that we are individually the key element in saving our own lives in order that we might save others. Seven simple words say all of this and more. Place the oxygen mask on yourself first. Why did they say that? Because if we take that measure of responsibility to protect and preserve our own lives, then we are able to help protect and preserve the lives of our seatmates and then place their oxygen mask on those who are unable to do so for themselves. Why do you suppose they don't ask us to just sit patiently and allow the professionals who have been highly trained in the proper procedure to make their way to each person and place the oxygen mask on each person? Because speed is crucial. Time is the key element to survival and faster saves lives. Which, by the way, is the name of an initiative to bring increased safety and security to our school campuses across the nation. Interestingly enough, the acronym FASTER is made up of seven words as well. Faculty Administration Staff Training Emergency Response Saves Lives is a program out of Ohio and Colorado, and it is the real-life, real-time example of the oxygen mask. The Faster Saves Lives program has trained 
thousands of volunteers and has been doing so for the past five years with no derogatory incidents and which has likely acted as a deterrent in schools the nation over, saving untold numbers of lives simply by having armed and prepared staff members present in our schools. Whenever people want to talk about gun violence statistics, not only do those stats disingenuously, ooh, that's, that's a good word, disingenuously, oh my gosh, we're just going to roll with that, include times when the good guys and gals used a firearm against violence, but they also leave out the times when the mere presence of preparedness and training acted as a life-saving deterrent to those who would do violence. What we do know is that responsibly armed citizens use guns two and a half million times a year for self-defense and 200,000 times a year a woman uses a firearm to prevent a sexual assault. And in the immediacy of the violence brought to their doorstep, they acted faster to save lives and take the best possible action just like they would if the life-saving tool happened to be an oxygen mask. When we, as individuals, take our own safety as our responsibility, lives are saved. Period. Simple. Uncomplicated. And when we look at the firewall that our forefathers put into place in our Bill of Rights, the Second Amendment, which they further protected with the clause, shall not be infringed, we realize that that firewall was placed there to keep the professional hysterics and politicians from trying to needlessly complicate matters with emotions, half-truths, and outright foolishness and lies. Will we once again understand that it is up to you and I to keep ourselves safe so that we can also keep our friends and family safe, which in turn will keep our neighborhoods safe and our communities safe and our nation a better place for everyone to live out the American dream of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, all because we take the advice of those tasked with keeping us safe as we fly over this beautiful nation of ours when they tell us to place the oxygen mask on yourself first. Dan? Wow, that's a great uh, comparison there. And I was just kind of, you know how I wander and dream and stuff, and uh, I was thinking, okay, so I'm the last person on the plane, and they're going to get the oxygen mask too, always, right? <laughs> and so I was thinking, well, what if I carried concealed oxygen mask with me on the plane? <laughs> they probably wouldn't allow that, right? Probably not. So <laughs> I guess interesting. That, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, TSA would probably have pickpocketed <clears throat> you during your speed uh, dating session. Yeah. It's a comparison that, you know, it's pretty real. I mean, think about it. you got 300 people on a plane, yeah. and um, you're the last guy so you're dead yeah you know so take care of yourself first so that you can help others I, it's so simple it's just a, such a non a no-brainer 
I don't and know I, how you I, come up with all these things, but it's it's a good one. Well, I appreciate that, and I figured you'd be sitting over there gloating that I tripped over my own word. How did you do that? <laughs> she puts hard words in here for me. Disingenuously. See, it's not hard. No. Yeah. I don't know what was coming out of my mouth a minute ago, but uh, yeah, all right. Hey, let's maybe see we who should our talk. guests are. Yeah, let's, let's talk about that. Okay. Our first hour, we have Trevor Santos. He's the Director of Government Relations, State Affairs, National Shooting Sports Foundation, focused on state legislation and regu- regu- regulations affecting the lawful commerce of firearms and ammunition products, hunting and shooting sports, primary in the southeast and west coast regions. He's here to talk to us about why it is so important to get out and gun vote. We have a Logan Matesh an historian and writer who runs High Caliber History, LLC, and has worked for museums with NRA, the Smith, I can't say that word, <laughs> Smithsonian, Smithsonian Institute. Institute, and the National Park Service. He is a frequent guest on NRA TV, Mysteries at the Museum, and NRA Gun Gurus, and also the American Rifleman TV. Mm-hmm. Busy guy. The, uh, then we have Tara uh, Ross. She is a lawyer who writes and focuses on the intersections among law, public policy, and constitutional history. She has authored multiple books, including The Indispensable Electoral College, How the Founders' Plan Saves Our Country from Mob Rule, and co-authored Under God, George Washington, and the Question of Church and State. Then on our next hour, we have Jeff Fine. Jeff Fine is going to be live in studio and he is cur- currently serves as a court administrator for the Maricopa County Justice Courts, a system of 26 community-based courts that address over 300,000 cases annually. Jeff knows firsthand what it means to serve and defend our country, uphold our laws, and administer justice. And he cares deeply about our country and community. He is seeking election to the Office of Superior Court Clerk in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Then we have Chris Burt, author of uh, Surviving a Mass Killer Rampage, When Seconds Count. The police are still minutes away, and thank God I had a gun. Chris Chris recently wrote an op-ed in Washington Times titled, Towards Less Gun Control, Not More. Eliminating gun-free zones is a good place to start. Absolutely. We also have our Responsibly Armed Citizen Report, and maybe... Dan's commentary. Mm. All right. So this has been a really big news week. And I don't think we've got time to really even do any justice to a couple of the really uh, biggest news stories that came around. Um, So I would be looking in the next couple of weeks uh, for some guests to help break these things down. But uh, one is the Ninth Circuit Court, the ruling that they just put out. Uh, The headline I'm reading here from Fox News, uh, it's dated just yesterday, I think, which would have been Wednesday, the, I'm sorry, Tuesday, the 25th of July. Liberal Ninth Circuit backs right to carry firearms in public in latest pro-Second Amendment ruling. Now, wait a minute. You said liberals, Ninth Circuit Court? Well, why is a court liberal in the first place? That's the thing that gets me. Judges are supposed to... Judge judge call balls and strikes they place their hand on the same constitution you know no matter how they personally lean politically so that right there gets me but um the one um quote i wanted to pull from this just very quickly was one of the judges said 
something like for better or for worse, <laughs> the Constitution allows uh, people to be able to, um, there it is, Judge Dearamud O'Scanlan wrote in his opinion that for better or for worse, the Second Amendment does protect a right to carry a firearm in public for self-defense. Boom, done, simple, uncomplicated, right? The other one is so layered, so nuanced that it's going to take a long time to talk about, but there was a Justice Department allows the sale of 3D printed guns. And John Lott wrote an opinion piece on Fox News titled, This Marks the End of Gun Control. Very well written, very easy to understand, and dated, I believe, was also the 20th. 720 2018 look that one up John and the crowd Arlott. goes wild yay the crowd goes wild so that'll be very interesting as time goes on so stick around we've got a great show we're starting with trevor santos he is with the nssf and uh talking about getting out the gun boat stick around I'm Rob Morse from the Self-Defense Gun Stories podcast. Each week we share stories about men and women who saved lives. Now I'm asking you to be a lifesaver as well. The Second Amendment Foundation protects our rights to keep and bear arms. They defend our rights in courts from coast to coast. Today, they need our help. Please go to saf.org and join the Second Amendment Foundation. That's saf.org. Hi folks, I'm Don Kyle. If you're looking for the biggest little gun shop in the West, look to azfirearms.com. They have 1,100 guns in stock and a knowledgeable staff to help you find just the right firearm for you. azfirearms.com is my nationwide hometown gun shop, and you should make it yours too. Welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. Well, our first guest today is Trevor Santos. He is the Director of Government Relations, State Affairs of the National Shooting Sports Foundation. We know it as the NSSF. He's focused on state legislation and regulations affecting the lawful commerce of firearms and ammunition products, hunting, and the shooting sports, primarily in the southeast and west coast regions. He is here to talk to us today about why it is so important to get out the gun vote. Welcome to the show, Trevor. Hey, Cheryl. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm excited to have you on. You know, we were recently in South Carolina uh, at an event together. It was the NSSF Industry Summit, and you were on a panel talking about this kind of issue, like how uh, the people that value their Second Amendment, how they interact with the next few elections is really going to make a huge difference. And I, so often we hear people say, you know, I'm one person, I'm one vote, my vote doesn't even matter. And after listening to you, I wish that that everybody could have heard what you said, which is why you're here to talk today, because they would have been they would be encouraged the way that I was to know that their vote does matter. Well, Cheryl, you know, th- thank you for those kind words, and uh, certainly appreciate to hear that. And 
and appreciate the opportunity to kind of get the word out. And I, I feel like it's, it's cliche to say, but it, it really is the honest truth to say that this, elect, this, elect, this upcoming election is, is likely the most important one um, that we'll have seen for gun owners. You know, we certainly said that back in 2016 um, with Donald Trump uh, ultimately becoming our president. And, you know, we've already seen uh, kind of the rewards from his presidency and in at least uh, one confirmation uh, in Supreme Court Justice Gorsuch and now the, the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh and, and hopefully uh, a confirmation of, of his nomination as well and, and what that means for gun owners. But 2018, it's certainly going to be a pivotal year for, for the, the industry and gun owners in general. And, and just to show um, how firearms are really coming in the forefront of elections, uh, back in March, YouGov did, um, did a poll or survey, and gun policies were number two on that list of most important issues that uh, elector, that, that people care about um, in the upcoming election. That's, that's the highest we've ever seen our issue uh, with regards to importance for, for voters. So, mm-hmm. you know, the industry and, again, gun owners are at the forefront, and, and so, so what could that mean for, for legislative races? Uh, right now, you've got um, 32 states that are re- Republican-controlled outright. You've got 13 that are controlled by Democrats and four that are kind of split. Um, you've got – we're kind of at the, the high watermark right now with, with governors around the country, with 33 Republican governors. Um, and we've got 36 gubernatorial elections just this year. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, I'm certainly not going to say that, that Republicans are, are always friends of gun owners in the industry. And, you know, we've mm-hmm. certainly seen that with, uh, with bills signed into law in, in Florida and Vermont, um, with, with respect to the second amendment and, and, uh, infringement on those rights and also, um, bad policy for, for the industry. But, you know, it's, it's certainly a big year. So I, you know, I'm sorry to kind of ramble on, but it's, no, it's, it's important. kind of cliche mm-hmm. to say that this is the most important election in, in our lifetime. Um, you know, and certainly 2020 is going to be even bigger with the White House up again. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And one of the things that I always like to make a distinction on, because our audience is nationwide, our audience is every possible demographic you could think of. Um, and we really do try to speak to that, that middle space, the people that aren't hardcore, you know, pegged out in one direction or another, uh, politically or on the gun issue or on any issue. And so we, we tend to, in the gun community, speak in terms of, you know, well, red states, which are Republican states or, um, Republican, uh, politicians, well, they're the gun people, right? And then the blue states, which are Democratic or Democratic politicians, they're against guns. And you know what? Those lines are not, you, you mentioned that in what you just said, those lines are not that defined. And the Second Amendment is part of our Constitution, and the Constitution is for everyone, right? Absolutely. And Absolutely. So, and so where it gets... Um, troublesome for people that maybe they think well you know socially i'm i'm liberal and so i would normally vote democrat 
But when they start to think, well, wait a minute, I need to instead think about the issue that is so important. You're saying it's number two on this survey. It's that top of mind. If I want to be sure that I protected my my gun rights, then I need to vote for, you know, forget about the R and the D, the blue and the red. I just need to vote for that issue and who and what things, what policies are going to help protect those, right? Oh, absolutely. And and that's something that we at NSSF are really trying to do is educate gun owners um, on where different candidates stand. We, we've got our our gun vote uh, educational initiative um, that certainly played a, a big part in 2016, and that's something that we'll start getting ramped up this year. Um, you can find that on, on Facebook at GunVote, Twitter at GunVote. Um, but we continuously post articles uh, about you know a certain candidate, what they may have said uh, on on the firearms issue. Now it's it's not outright endorsing a certain candidate, but it, it's certainly education. Um, and I know I'm well. I'm, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are are likely NRA members, and you know we know NRA grades uh, our elected officials and, and candidates across the board on where they stand on the issue. I think that'd be uh, another great um, outlet for people to to really educate themselves on on where these candidates stand on on Second Amendment and, and the firearms industry in general. Absolutely, and I'll give people shorthand a shorthand uh, quickie test. If you hear someone say, "I'm a gun owner, but." <laughs> 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 that tells you all you need to know about how strong they are going to support your Second Amendment rights. You know, we, we hear that all, all too often, uh, you know, our, our friends, uh, well, I shouldn't say our friends, but the, the people that we go head-to-head with all the time, uh, in, in groups for that matter, you know, we support the Second Amendment, but mm-hmm. um, we're not opposed to you having firearms, but you shouldn't have this type. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I wrote a blog a few years back called Don't Be a Butt about gun rights. So <laughs> uh, that's kind of the, the key word that people can listen for. And they go, oh, that person maybe doesn't get my vote because they, they put the, the butt in there. So, um, you know, this anti-gun movement, we've got all these high schoolers out there with big, loud microphones and megaphones. They've got a ton of money behind them with... Um, you know, God bless them, but these Hollywood people are such sellouts to ignorance. They they have not educated themselves on something that they stand up and speak as though they they do know what they're talking about, um, and the Bloomberg money and all of that. So, you know, what what can we do? What are our biggest challenges that that we're facing to fight back against these movements? Maybe if you talk state by state, like going into our state capitals, what, what's your advice mm-hmm. for that? Well, I, I think the biggest thing right now is, is we as gun owners have become complacent. Um, you know, we, we've had pro-gun Congress. We've, we've got a lot of pro-gun state legislatures, and I think we've become complacent and see that you know, we really don't need to turn out when there's a gun bill, whether it's a pro-gun or an anti-gun bill, uh, being heard at, at a state capitol, whether it's in committee or even for a vote on the floor. But we, what we have seen is we've seen the other side show up, uh, a lot of red shirts with Moms Demand Action um, packing committee rooms. 
So my, my biggest thing, and NSSF tries to get this word out when, when we see legislation coming up for a hearing, is show up. I mean, mm. or at the very least, voice your support or opposition to certain bills. Mm. Uh, call your elected official. You know, we as, as the trade association can only do so much. And, and while we do have uh, consultants on the ground that are at state capitals and, and us in-house folks within SSF are at state capitals working these bills, you know, elected officials uh, like to hear from their constituents. Mm -hmm. So whether it's a phone call, an email, or more so showing up in committee and voicing your concern for um, proposed legislation, that is the absolute biggest thing. We, we can't be complacent um, because when we start to sit back, the other side is going to put their foot on the gas and they're going to keep going. They're going to they're going to get louder and louder. And, and we as the gun community, you know, we've typically been that that loud um, and, and boisterous group. Um, we need we need to continue to, to voice our concern for bad pieces of legislation. Um, but in return, we also need to get out there and voice our support for good pieces of legislation. So we we can't be complacent um, because before we know it, um, you know, we're going to be dealing with a whole lot more issues and in, 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 the other side that is certainly well-funded, uh, they're well-organized, and they're there at the state capitals. They really are. And, you know, that's one of the things is that, you know, conservatives, we are conservative. <laughs> Sometimes we, you know, we're, <laughs> we're kind of think as like, you know, we're the Lone Ranger and we're pretty individualistic and that sort of thing. And so we, we don't tend to, like, get all of our, our neighborhood buddies and our groups together and go march down the streets. That's just not something right. that, that we would normally do. But we need to start looking at the tactics that the people that don't have the facts on their side, don't have the Constitution on their side, the tactics that they're using, and uh, step it up and, you know, take those on as our own. Um, another thing that I'd say, and, and I don't know that this is really your your area of expertise, but I'm seeing a huge push towards our, um, you know, the social acceptability, the cultural um, acceptability of, of firearms and firearms owners. And I think that, you know, we're seeing it peppered into TV shows and that sort of thing that you know, guns are bad and, the, you know, only, you know, bad people have them and bad things happen when you have them, even if you're a good person. And do you have anything that you can offer to our audience to, to push back on those kinds of things? You know, I, I think the biggest thing is educating your friends that are not gun owners. Mm, mm -hmm. uh, you know, with the accidents that happen with children and firearms, I think the biggest thing is those accidents happen when there's curiosity mm -hmm. and when a child is taught at a young age firearm safety and they're, they're taught about firearms. Uh, I know I certainly was, you know, I don't think you're going to see as many of those accidents happen, but yeah, the biggest thing is, is getting, getting our side out to the non gun gun owning community mm -hmm. um, that look, they're, they're used as a tool. They're used as protection right. um, and, and they're protected by our constitution. Absolutely. And you know what? You're pretty normal and I'm pretty normal unless you ask my husband and he's like, <laughs> we won't ask him. <laughs> you know, we're just normal people, just doing normal people things. You know, uh, we're really not the fringe. But, you know, we're about out of time. But I wanted to not only thank you so much for coming on, but help people learn how how they can learn more about the, the hashtag gun vote initiative, the NSSF and all of the work that you do. 
Absolutely. Well, thank you again for having me on. Mm-hmm. And, and you can check us out, um, NSSF on Facebook, uh, quick search. It should be the NSSF. Uh, check out Gun Vote on Facebook. But the biggest thing um, we provide for, for non-members to, to our association is educational materials. So if you want to um, inform yourself and arm yourself with the facts, go to NSSF.org. Go to the Government Relations tab, and you'll find just a a plethora of information, different fact sheets on different issues that affect uh, the industry, different issues that we're facing, but also gun owners in general. Um, I feel like that's a great resource. So check us out, NSSF.org, and uh, obviously social media, NSSF and Gunboat. Excellent. Thank you so much. Trevor Santos of the NSSF. Bye now. Thanks, Cheryl. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Stick around. We still have Logan Matesh just on the other side of these messages. He is a historian and a writer who runs High Caliber History LLC. He's also worked for museums in the NRA, the Smithsonian, National Park Service. goes on and on. Stick around. You won't want to miss this. Don Collier here, letting you know that you won't get fool's gold at Potty Gold Auction. They're the genuine article. Potty Gold Auctions off guns, coins, jewelry, and antiques of every kind. Stop in and see my friends Dan and Cheryl Todd in Avondale, Arizona for some live auction action. Or check them out on the web at pottygoldestate.com. Auctions take place the first and third Tuesday of every month and are full of a great mix of antiques, collectibles, jewelry, guns, and coins. Visit our beautiful air-conditioned showroom off the I-10 at Dysart Road at 215 East Western Avenue in historic downtown Avondale. You will find a friendly and knowledgeable staff, comfortable chairs, and we even serve free birthday cake at every auction. Or bid from the comfort of your home at potofgoldestate.com. Don't miss out. Everything is going, going, gone at potofgoldestate.com. Hey everybody, this is Joey Rocket Shoes Dylan, world champion gunslinger and Hollywood gun coach. In the westerns, there's always a good guy and a bad guy and sometimes the ugly guy. And I always root for the good guy, which is why I'm here to tell you about the good folks over at azfirearms.com. They are straight shooters and always give you the best deal in town. azfirearms.com is the biggest little gun shop in Arizona and have something for every single gun enthusiast. Long guns, pistols, hunting, military, law enforcement, home protection, you name it. And when you've got some guns to sell or trade in and trade up, azfirearms.com are the folks to see. Geez, they bought a cannon once. They are family-owned and operated, friendly staff, courteous, totally reliable. azfirearms.com will give you the best value for your used guns. So stop in, see my friends Dan and Cheryl Todd at azfirearms.com in Old Town Avondale off the I-10 and Dysart Road and tell them Joey Rocket Shoes Dylan sent you. Welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. Well, our next guest is Logan Matesh, a historian, a writer, who runs High Caliber History LLC and has worked for museums with the NRA, 
the Smithsonian Institute, the National Park Service. He is also a frequent guest on NRA TV, Mysteries at the Museum, Gun Stories with Joe Montaigne, NRA Gun Gurus, and American Rifleman TV. Holy cow, you're a busy guy. Welcome to the show, Logan. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I do keep pretty busy, but you probably won't see my ugly mug. I do a lot of my work behind the scenes with the exception of NRA TV. So gotcha. they uh, they need folks to, to help uh, organize and coordinate all of the really neat historic firearms that they use on those shows. So I'm I'm happy to be behind the scenes. Well, and we do need that, you know, that research. It takes so much time, and you've had so many years of study, and, you know, it's invaluable. Just recently, with our auction house, our Pot of Gold Estate Auctions, you were on there looking around, and you shot me an email, and you're like, hey, you've got a gun on there that you, you're not sure what it is, and you told me all about it, and now we've shared that with our, with our bidders. And I just thought that was incredible. That was invaluable. Thank you for that. Well, Absolutely. I mean, and that's what it's all about. The research is, is what I'm passionate about and being able to, to delve deep and find out the information and, and tell the story. That's what's so very important, uh, particularly for the history uh, of our country and the history of arms and museums and all of that. It's all tied together. Well, it is. And even tied to our future. And that was the main thing that you and I thought, you know, let's bring this conversation to the air because you're a young guy. You get that, you know, you're going to go through years that some of us old people are not going to be there. And if you don't <laughs> carry that knowledge forward, then then where are we as a country? And so how do we inspire other young people to uh, carry that torch and to have a passion for learning their history? And one of the ways we do that is through our museums, right? But yes, then, absolutely. But then firearms are like this hot button political issue that museums have to deal with. It'd be easier if they were just like, well, here, let, let's just bring in like Lincoln's chair or let's just like bring in, you know, a, a chuck wagon or something. There's not all these political and legal issues to deal with. Um, but absolutely. But you and I agree that it's so important for for museums to fight through those things and keep firearms on display. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So firearms are, are one of the easiest things to to link people to our history uh, and our culture, uh, because right, wrong, or otherwise, whether you like them or you don't, uh, everyone in the United States, their lives are touched by firearms and the history of firearms. And so uh, American history is firearms history. Mm. <laughs> and True. that's, to me, what is so great to be able to display firearms in museums, um, whether you're seeing them in house museums in national parks or you're seeing them at the Smithsonian Institution or at the NRA Museums or at the Cody Firearms Museum, you're able to have that tangible object that helps you tell part of the story. You know, maybe it's a, a Colt single-action army that was with uh, Custer and the 7th Cavalry, or maybe it's a 1911 that actually saw service in World War One. It is it is hands-on history um, in a very tangible way. Um, and you're right, firearms are a hot-button issue, uh, and some museums tend to try to shy away uh, from firearms because it can create uh, an uncomfortable experience for some of their visitors. But 
to me, that's what makes firearms so intriguing uh, and such a great thing to have on display because no matter how you feel about them, if you walk into a museum and you see a firearm on display, you're not going to have an indifferent reaction to it. You're either Mm. going to react positively Mm -hmm. or you're going to react negatively. Mm. And personally, I'm okay with either one of those reactions because the whole point of a museum is to get you engaged and to get you thinking about the concepts in a broader scheme that are being uh, represented through those objects. And so, you know, someone may walk through an art gallery and, oh, well, there's a, there's a Jackson Pollock. Well, it doesn't do anything for me. I'm moving on to the next one. <laughs> but you, you see a firearm, and like I said, you're either going to have a good or a bad reaction, and that's going to spark dialogue one way or the other, and that's what we need. We need that dialogue in order to maintain a hold on our past uh, so that we can know where we're going, guided by our past. Mm. Logan, welcome to the show. This is Dan. I... You know, I have a comment on that. You know, we, we went and talked to a bunch of people that were curators in museums, and there were some anti-gun curators there, and it makes it very difficult because they do want to eliminate the guns or put them in the back, hide them. You know, I, and I use an example of the uh, Holocaust Museum in Washington. You know, mm-hmm. nobody was for that, but yet it's part of history that we need to see and we need to learn from just as though a firearm would be. We need to learn uh, about yeah. the history of them. And so if I go to the Holocaust Museum, I say, man, that was a beautiful museum. I really enjoyed it. Doesn't mean that I was for the Holocaust. And, I mean, that I was, you know, mm-hmm. on the other side of the street for that. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I just sure. think that it's very important that whether we like it or not, it needs to be in our history books and we need to learn from it. Absolutely. You're totally right, Dan. And that's the fact of the matter is that history is often uncomfortable. And there's no way around that. And so that's why we have to embrace it and be able to find the good in a little bit of everything. Um, and, and that can certainly be done through firearms, uh, as well as any number of other artifacts uh, linking to any other number of periods in American and world history. Absolutely. Well, and what I was thinking as I was listening to you talk about, you know, a museum setting and firearms is, so firearms can be art. I mean, there are some very beautiful firearms and Mm -hmm. engravings are so intricate. It's technology, right? It's a progression of technology through, through history. It's about, you know, our nation and, and the protection of not only our borders, but also people's homes. I mean, there are so many stories intertwined and so many bigger things that, that a firearm uh, represents that when you said that that our history is it is indelibly or un, undeniably linked to the firearm, it really is. Absolutely, you know whether whether it is uh, a beautifully engraved Henry rifle serial number six that was given to Abraham Lincoln that's in the possession of the Smithsonian Institution in D.C., oh. or whether it's the the little Philadelphia Derringer uh, that was used to assassinate President Lincoln mm. uh, that's at Ford's Theater. You know, those those are two very uh, different pieces mm-hmm. of American history, and yet they help tell the broad scope mm-hmm. of history, uh, and it helps really tell the full story of Lincoln, for example. You know, you, right. you have that connection with him 
uh, and innovation and arms and, and him being presented that rifle from Benjamin Tyler Henry. Uh, and then, of course, you've, you've got John Wilkes Booth with that Derringer from Henry Derringer in Philadelphia um, that ends, ends his life and forever alters his legacy and forever alters the course of American history. And so uh, that little diminutive single-shot pistol is a really big artifact. Uh, and so you can tell amazing stories in museums with firearms, stories that you, you simply couldn't tell otherwise. So true. Well, our time has already slipped away from us. But before I let you go, I want to talk about your work and how people can follow your work and learn more about your, your website, High Caliber History. Yeah, absolutely. So highcaliberhistory.com, very easy, www.highcaliberhistory.com. Um, and you can go in there and we've got a blog and there's photos and there's ways to contact me, sign up for the newsletter. Uh, I promise not to bombard your inbox. Uh, and there's links to follow me on different social media feeds. And again, that's all at www.highcaliberhistory.com. That is just awesome, and it, it, it's a great resource, and I highly recommend people spend some time there. And I highly recommend, as I know you do too, that people, you know, get in out of the heat. Go into an air-conditioned museum. Spend some time, right? Definitely. It's the best way to beat the heat. <laughs> I love it. Well, Logan, we're definitely going to have to have you back on. There are so many stories that I, I really want you to be able to share with our, our listeners that come from your research, that come from the history of firearms. And uh, I hope you'll come back. But for today, we have to run Logan Matesh of HighCaliberHistory.com. Thanks so much. Thank you, Logan. Bye-bye now. Okay, we have Tara Ross waiting in the wings. Tara is a lawyer and a writer. She focuses on the intersection of law, public policy, and constitutional history. Stick around. And we're back with Cheryl Todd talking about the huge gun buying event at azfirearms.com. Oh, AZ, I get it, as in Arizona. Yes, but... Oh, or AZ, as in everything from A to Z. Well, yes, that too. But what I'm telling everybody about is that azfirearms.com is having a huge gun buying event to buy your old firearms all across Arizona and everything from A to Z. That's great news. See, my grandpa left me an old shotgun and it's just sitting on a closet shelf at home. So I can bring that into azfirearms.com and sell my gun. Absolutely. azfirearms.com buys, sells, trades, and even consigns your old firearms. Any vintage, any style, military, long guns, handguns, hunting, or home protection. Single items or entire collections. We offer the highest value for your used firearms in a safe and friendly environment, staffed by knowledgeable people. azfirearms.com is Knolltown Avondale off I-10 and Dysart Road. Come on down to the huge gun buying event every day through the end of the month at the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. And for all your firearm and ammo needs, visit azfirearms.com. I'm Rob Morse from the Self-Defense Gun Stories podcast. Each week we share stories about men and women who saved lives. Now I'm asking you to be a lifesaver as well. The Second Amendment Foundation protects our rights to keep and bear arms. They defend our rights in courts from coast to coast. Today, they need our help. Please go to saf.org and join the Second Amendment Foundation. That's saf.org. 
Don Collier here, letting you know that you won't get fool's gold at Pot of Gold Auction. They're the genuine article. Pot of Gold auctions off guns, coins, jewelry, and antiques of every kind. Stop in and see my friends Dan and Cheryl Todd in Avondale, Arizona for some live auction action. Or check them out on the web at potofgoldestate.com. Thank you for sticking around. You are with Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. If you have missed any portion of today's show, please be sure to check out our website for the recording. Go to gunfreedomradio.com, click the On Demand tab, and you can just binge listen to your heart's content all 119 other shows that we have posted there. And when you want to put a face with a voice, click on our guest tab. We have a guest page with bios and links to their their works of every single guest that we've ever had on. Spend some time there. We, we really appreciate it when you do that. We are brought to you by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. And this show is a proud member of the Self-Defense Radio Network. Find out more and check out all of the great content at selfdefenseradio.net. Well, our next guest, guest pardon me, is Tara Ross. She is a lawyer and a writer who focuses on the intersection among law, public policy, and constitutional history. She has authored multiple books, including The Indispensable Electoral College, How the Founders' Plan Saves Our Country from Mob Rule, and co-authored Under God, George Washington and the Question of Church and State. Welcome to the show, Miss Tara. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. And am I saying it right or is it Tara? Oh, it's Tara. Tara, very good. I respond to everything, though, just to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's easy when you, like my name's Cheryl. People spell it every which way you can possibly, but uh, we, we get used to it, right? So exactly, <laughs> I wanted to have you the the whole idea of the electoral college. You know, a, a generation ago, people were like, "Oh, is there such a thing?" Like it just was not a top of mind thing. But after this last presidential election, it's it is really a hot button issue. And I just thought maybe you could give us a real brief civics lesson on what the electoral college is and why it is currently so vilified in the wake of our 2016 presidential election. Well, I think the reason it's vilified is because, unfortunately, it's become a partisan issue. And people think if you're a Republican or if you voted for Trump or if you voted for Bush, then you're, quote, supposed to support the Electoral College. And if you voted for Hillary Clinton or if you voted for Al Gore, then you're, quote, supposed to be against it. Hmm. And, of course, nothing could be further from the truth. Um, the, one of the reasons I started studying the Electoral College in October, uh, well, I guess it was right after the 2000 election, was because I had noticed that in October of 2000, right before the I noticed how quickly things can change. Al Gore was preparing for an Electoral College victory and a popular vote loss. He had lawyers doing research and preparing to defend what he thought was going to happen. And, and, and he thought the Electoral College would work in his favor that time. Of course, what ended up happening, as we know now, was the precise opposite. George Bush won the Electoral College vote and lost the popular vote. 
And lots of people don't remember that history. But what I noticed was just how quickly things can change. Mm -hmm. And what I thought to myself, either this institution works and it is good for our country or, or it doesn't. And it's got nothing to do with whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. It's got to do with the founders' principles and what they were trying to do and what they were trying to establish. So I, I would you rather talk, I can talk about the founders' principles or the logistics of how it actually works. So well, everybody's I on the think, same page. I think, you know what, they're both important. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, what, on your website, you have several myths. And I thought that those mm-hmm. were so very well laid out. And one of the myths that might lead you into, you know, kind of guide the next thing that you want to tell us is myth number three is the Electoral College is somehow undemocratic. <laughs> well, so this this probably goes back to what the founders are trying to accomplish. The, 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 the Electoral College is not undemocratic, it is democratic plus federalist. OK, mm-hmm. we have half of the election that is purely democratic. You go to the polls in your states, as it operates today, you go to the polls in your states, you cast a ballot to say which candidate you prefer, and the winner in the state wins, just like if you cast a vote for governor, just like if you cast any other statewide ballot, you are casting a purely Democratic vote for a statewide office, and that statewide office is the office of presidential elector, and you're saying who you want that elector to vote for. Mm-hmm. and. It always works that way, and it is a purely democratic outcome. Now, we choose through our electoral college to combine that purely democratic process with a dose of federalism. (laughs) And what I mean by that is we also choose to have a second phase of the election, which is a state-by-state process. Now, the reason we add that extra state-by-state element to the presidential election is because of what the founders were trying to accomplish. And they knew that a pure democracy without any kind of check and balance on it could be a very dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. A very simple explanation is a pure democracy is two wolves and a sheep voting on what's for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how's that going to go, the, right? The sheep doesn't care that it got a vote. <laughs> it doesn't care at all. It's still getting eaten for dinner. <laughs> mm-hmm. They didn't use that particular example, but they understood that problem. And they created a system of checks and balances. And, and the fact that we have a presidential election system is just one of these checks to make sure that unreasonable or bare or emotional majorities can't overrun the rest of the country. Mm-hmm. And it's truly representative because if, if a candidate maybe wants to just focus where there's a huge population, then mm-hmm. they're going to go where? California. They're going right. to go to, what, New York. They're going to go to these places. And then, you know, middle America is going to get completely ignored. And the things that are important to the people that actually, you know, grow the food, <laughs> you know, and, and feed right. America and those kinds of things are going to be treated like they don't matter. Right. And it's, it's exactly the mistake Hillary Clinton made. She would have won the 2016 election if she had not done that, like what you just described. 20% of her vote came from only California. And if you take away those two states out of the equation, all of a sudden she is lagging. Absolutely. I think I might have lost. So, oh, there you are. Okay. Oh, did you, um, she, did you get me? I heard you <laughs> so say she's, she's lagging. Behind. She's behind by 3 mm-hmm. million votes. 
if you take away New York and California. Mm-hmm. And in fact, in the weeks before the election, she thought, so again, to go back to the Al Gore problem, she thought she was about to win the Electoral College vote and lose the popular vote, and she didn't want to do that. So she started racking up support. She spent millions of dollars racking up votes in safe places like Chicago. And that is precisely what the Electoral College, of course, seeks to prevent, Mm -hmm. a a candidate that goes only to the people that already like them instead of learning more about the rest of the country or building a coalition that includes the rest of the country. Mm -hmm. So Hillary Clinton, if she had just followed, followed the rules of the Electoral College, probably would have won, but she didn't do it. Absolutely. And that whole um, topic we just talked about ties into myth number eight on your website, and that is that candidates who lose the popular vote shouldn't win the White House. The system is rigged. And (laughs) you say on there, in fact, it gives the presidency to the candidate who built the best coalition, right, that that listens to all the constituency. You know, I think the coalition that won in 2016 was the coalition that was that's tired of the status quo in D.C., that's tired of not being listened to, that just wanted to shake things up. And that was the coalition. And, you know, sure, we could create a presidential election system that rewarded a pure popular vote victory. Um, But here's the best analogy that might demonstrate why it's fair today. So if you're looking at the World Series, <laughs> mm-hmm. okay, we play that game by saying, or we determine the champion by saying, okay, whoever wins four out of seven games, that's the champion. And it does not matter who scores the most runs over the course of the entire seven-game series, right? Mm-hmm. In 1960, the New York Yankees actually won a, like a lot more runs over the course of the night of the whole World Series. But Pittsburgh won four games. Mm-hmm. Well, the, it, Nobody goes back and says, well, but Pittsburgh, you didn't get enough runs over the course of the seven games. You can't win the World Series. <laughs> everybody accepted it. They, they won four games. That's how it works. And the reason we do that, of course, is because you don't want to give the baseball championship to somebody just because they have one exceptionally good pitcher or just because they have one batter that does especially well in a certain set of circumstances or because a, a team can blast you out at home, but they're lousy playing away games. You know, I mean, you you want a well-rounded team that can do well in a variety of circumstances. And that's why the the championship is structured that way. In the same way, we want presidential candidates to win when they are well-rounded, when they appeal to a cross-section of America, not just when they can do really well in one region or a handful of densely populated cities. Absolutely. And the people that are upset about the whole issue going on right now, you know, they have to really stop for a second or they should stop for a second and just be intellectually honest and say, we're really just mad that we lost. We're not really Mm -hmm. upset about the system that our founders put into place because, you know, nobody got, uh, you know, they're not upset about whether it's majority or whether it's um, the electoral college. They're just mad about the, the results that they're dealing with right now. Um, because this has been working for 200 some odd years. And uh, I love the way that you write about it. You have a true passion and love for how the founders devised this uh, system. And I just highly recommend people to check out your website, check out your books. Uh, You've done a couple of really 
beautifully done Prager University videos um, that just breaks these things down and, and makes it easier to, to really understand and not get caught up in, with the tidal wave of emotion out there. Well, thank you. I, I, you know, my experience is that the more you understand it, the easier it is to support the system and to see what the founders are trying to do. Mm-hmm. And it has served our country well for more than 200 years. And it's sad to me that based on the outcome of one or two elections, people are just trying to destroy it now. Mm-hmm. I would rather educate and like help people to learn. Absolutely. Well, we've got to run for now. I would love to have you back on again. You've got so much you can talk to us about and teach us about history. I love your Instagram page for that sort of thing. Oh, thank you. Um, and so just as we go out, could you tell folks how they can follow uh, all that you do and, and buy your books? Sure. Well, if you go to my website, which is just com, you can find links to most of my social media accounts. I probably need to update it, to be honest, but you find most of them. You can find my books. There's a book link. My Instagram is just at TaraRoss1787, so, and I do post history nuggets on there every single morning. So I hope, I hope everybody enjoys it. I sure do. All right, Tara Ross, thank you so much for, for coming on. We'll definitely have you back on in the future. Have a great day. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, stick around. We still have our number two coming up of Gun Freedom Radio, topping the hour with our friend sitting right here in studio, Jeff Fine, who is running for a public office that is the clerk of the county. What is that? It is the uh, clerk of Superior Court for Maricopa County. See, he said that so much better than I did. And he's got that deep, resonant voice. Stick around. When you're working hard to beat debt, you've got to think of creative ways to get your income up. Here's an idea. Sell some stuff at auction. Start with locally owned and operated potofgoldestate.com. The owners, Dan and Cheryl Todd, have over 60 years of combined experience in selling antiques, collectibles, guns, coins, and jewelry. And over their many years in business, they've earned the trust of thousands of people just like you. Whether you're saving for a rainy day emergency fund or paying down debt, let potofgoldestate.com help you get the extra cash you need. Potofgoldestate.com will purchase your items outright, or you can consign them to their twice-a-month online auction. Pot of Gold's nationwide online auction is a great place to get top dollar for your collectibles. They specialize in everything from antiques, coins, high-end collectibles, to cars, boats, guns, and more. Get started today at potofgoldestate.com, or visit them off I-10 and Dysart Road in Historic Avondale for some live auction action. For more information, visit potofgoldestate.com. That's potofgoldestate.com. Hey, this is Lloyd Bailey, the Armed Lutheran, host of the Armed Lutheran Radio Podcast, reminding you that the podcast you're listening to is a proud member of the Self-Defense Radio Network. Check out all the great content at selfdefenseradio.net.